First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Yes, hello everyone, and welcome back to the None But the Brave podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my partner in crime, Flynn McLean. <laughs> Flynn, what's happening? Well, the first thing I have to do is issue a correction. In the last episode, I was talking about the lines from 10th Avenue, which showed up a lot on the Rising Tours part of Mary's place about what, there's a place right across town whenever you're ready. And I credit it to Sam Cooke and his, his version of, or his song, Meet Me at Mary's Place. It's actually a song by Major Lance yes. called Monkey Times. So uh, I have to apologize, and I have to credit Lauren Onke for the correction. Thank you, Lauren. Well, thanks to Lauren for keeping us on our toes. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, someone has to. And with that, we move into what Bruce has been doing lately, which, of course, is another episode of From My Home to Yours, Episode 8, Summertime, Summertime. Flynn, what do you think of it? Well, I really liked it. It was pretty. I thought it was pretty melancholy. The stories he was telling, they seem right out of right out of the book, yes. which obviously spawned Broadway. So there are a lot of similarities and comparisons to to the book and Broadway in that way. And it felt like outtakes. He was talking about. He was telling the stories about when he was a kid and riding, hitchhiking down to the beach and going to the county fair, and it was good. But I, I it's almost like. The the background music he used for a lot of the stories was, as I said, very melancholy, and I kind of it kind of for whatever reason it did left me with more of a depressed feeling of of summers gone by that that we're not having now and we'll never have again. Yeah, it did sort of have that, and I didn't think it rose to the level of the previous two episodes, which were absolutely fantastic. The Little Steven and Southside episode and the episode he did before that that was the one that opened with American Skin, right? I believe so, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, that that, that was stunning radio. And, and this was really, really good. But I agree. Definitely a little on the melancholy side. I did like some of his selections, especially the War on Drugs, as you know, a personal favorite of mine. Yes, I and do. Yes, they're I do. big And they're big fans of his. And I also really like the Lana Del Rey video games the, and the story he told going into that. Uh, that was nice. That was and the Backstreet's actually described it as as poetry on on his part, and I think that's very that's a very apt description. I think one of the things that really caught my eye, or I should say, ear on this one, <laughs> he really is putting a lot of work into these. You could tell there was a yeah. lot of preparation, and he's really thinking about what he's saying and. I, I thought it was a really good listen. Uh, you know, the one before, as I say, with Southside and Steve, that was that was about as good radio as I've heard in a while. So, you know, this one may be not to the same level, but a really good listen. And certainly I hope he continues doing them. Yes, I um, not every show can be as hard hitting or as fun as as the last two were. And but this one was definitely entertaining. And as I said, it really allowed Bruce, the storyteller, to continue his his talents in that respect. And Hey, and we got, we got to throw in a little, um, we introduced County fair. He talked about, he had a lot of outtakes from between Nebraska and the river. That's a quote. Don't get, don't email me about that, about the fact that he missed up those, the river and USA, but 
He said that more outtakes could magically appear one day. So yes, we're hoping, he did. We're hoping that's a little hint that uh, that our dreams of tracks two will actually come true this time. Uh, we continue to hope. <laughs> For what are we without hope in our hearts, Hal? Yes, I I believe you've used that before. Uh, I you know I it's a lyric I keep close to my heart. As you should, because that's a damn good song. <laughs> yes, it is. So, all right, and we're going to be talking Bruce on the Jersey Shore tonight. Now, by my count, in the years 1982, 1987, and 1989 alone, he did over 80 guest appearances on the shore, which is pretty amazing. Unfortunately, I didn't arrive on the scene <laughs> until late in the decade, and Flynn didn't arrive on the scene until long after that, so... <laughs> We're bringing in yeah. some expert. We're bringing in some experts tonight. Yes, I'm a victim of my chronology. So, but Sorry, yeah, we have a, we have some great experts tonight. So, to provide perspective on these amazing times, right now we're going to bring in one of the mavens of the Jersey Shore music scene, and that, of course, is Mr. Stan Goldstein. Stan, how are you doing? Good, good. Glad to join you in Flynn. Oh, thank you for being here. Yes, thank you very much. Tell us right at the start, you know, some of your experiences. What's the most memorable thing you remember from Bruce in the 80s down on the shore? <laughs> there, there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, I'll, I'm going to even go back, if I can, to 1979. Of course. Um, the drinking age was 18 at the time. And I never saw Bruce at the Stone Pony until 1987 for various different reasons. But I did used to see him at the Fast Lane, which was a bar on 4th Avenue right off Kingsley in Asbury Park. Hmm. It's right next to Asbury Lanes today by uh, Danny Clinch's gallery. It's, it's a parking lot now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they paved so, over Paradise and put up a parking lot, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. But for me personally, uh, the drinking age in Jersey was 18. I turned 18 in 1978. And I started to go on the fast lane. I remember the first time I was there was January of 1979. And Gary U.S. Bonds was playing. And a friend of mine said, oh, that's Gary U.S. Bonds. That's Bruce does quarter to three. And so I went to check him out. There was hardly maybe 100 people in the bar. And Gary Talent showed up that night. So that was a thrill. No Bruce, but Gary Talent. And that was, that was a big thrill. But later in April of that year, and thanks to Bruce Base, we can find the exact exact dates. It was April 13th and April 15th of 1979. Um, Bruce showed up. It was Easter weekend. Hmm. And it was a Friday night. And I believe Beaver Brown played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. John Ca Then they were known as Beaver Brown. Now they're John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown right. band. And um, I remember that Friday night. I didn't even know Bruce was in the bar, and all of a sudden the encores come up, and the bar's crowded, but I mean, not mob, 200 people, 300 people, and all of a sudden I look, and there's Bruce Springsteen on stage, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, I'll never forget this, my first recollection is, wow, I only thought, that, thought this happened years ago, and I mean, <laughs> this is 1970. So, you know, as Hal just said, we had 80 sometimes, how many more times this would happen. But I remember they played Rosalita, and then Bruce came back that Sunday night, which was April Easter Sunday, came back and did uh, uh, five, four or five songs with him that night again, including Rosalita. And that was just pretty wild, like, wow, I'm seeing Bruce in a bar. Uh, there's nothing better. I mean, we all know that. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, hey. so the so the first night on on the f the first of those two shows, you just look, you just looked up at the encores and bam, Bruce was there. This was there, and I you know it was really really at the time obviously very much pre internet. 
you know, I, I knew Bruce had played the pony for years, but I didn't really know if he would be around or not. I mean, the Gary Osbond show that I just alluded to, my friend said, hey, maybe Bruce will show up at that because Gary does quarter to three. Uh, he's the original <laughs> artist on that. But right, this, that's before Bruce worked with Gary U.S. Bonds. Yeah. Right, right. But this I didn't, and it was like, I just remember my reaction, and then, you know, uh, then had to have Bruce come back that Sunday night. It was pretty wild. <laughs> it was just, and I remember seeing him, I don't know how many times in the fast lane over the years. And I should say years, it's 1979, 80, 81. So over like a three year period, but he was very accessible. He, um, you could sit down, talk to him, have a beer with him. He was with Obi a lot. Um, I think he was with his girlfriend, but he he was very approachable. And I remember, uh, he came back in October of 79. And matter of fact, looking at Bruce space now, it was October 5th, 1979 for Beaver Brown again. And this would have just been about two weeks after his no nuke show. And he played again. He showed up that it was a Friday night with Beaver Brown and Vinny Lopez even played with him that night. So that was pretty wild. <laughs> now you were at that one, right? Yes. Okay. And, it's, go ahead. Okay, my, my question is, at that point, I mean, he wasn't the, I mean, he, he did, really didn't even have a big hit. He didn't have a top 40 hit uh, just yet, at least a top 10, which wouldn't come until Hungry Heart. Um, was was there any kind of vibe in the bar, like, ooh, Bruce is here, Bruce is here, he might play? Or was it just like, yeah, Bruce is here, he's having a beer, and, you know, and then if he jumps on stage, everybody enjoys it? You know, it, it was it was kind of both. I, I think people were just thrilled to be in his presence because, like you said, he wasn't this mega, mega star maybe outside of New Jersey yet. And he was our god already, though. <laughs> and um, it, it was just cool to see him hanging around. And um, if I can give you a quick story from uh, October 5th of 1979, yeah. I um, was working. I was a freshman or starting my sophomore year at St. John's University in New York. And I worked at the Asbury Park Press right out of high school in their sports department. And I remember going through the microfilm and I wanted to find Bruce's birth announcement. And I found it and I printed it out. And I brought it with me that night uh, in October to the fast lane, knowing Bruce had played with Fever Round back the past April, thinking, hey, maybe he'll be here again tonight. So anyway, I, I got talking to Dave Marsh, who was there that night also. And Dave was very nice. And I said, oh, I have Bruce's birth announcement printed out that I found from the Asbury Park Press from 1949. And I said, would you give it to Bruce? And Dave goes, me give it to Bruce? No, you're going to give it to Bruce. <laughs> I was like, whoa. He goes, come on, I'll introduce you. So he took me over to meet Bruce. And Bruce just looked at it and said, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> He had never seen it before, and Dave says, I don't even know if your mother has a copy of that. So I gave Bruce that copy, and Dave did write about that in his book, uh, Glory Days. Oh, nice. Okay. So, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's jump ahead to the 80s, because I am fascinated by this period. And, of course, as I said, I didn't really arrive on the scene until the late 80s. The first time I entered the Pony was in 1988, and I first saw Bruce there in 1989. What was it like? Because Flynn just mentioned Bruce didn't have any hits when you first saw him in 1979. As the 80s, it was post-River in 1982. And then as we went on in the 80s, after Born in the USA, the idea that the biggest rock star on the planet 
was showing up regularly in bars by his house. As we all know from experiencing it, it's it's pretty mind blowing. What was it like to be there in the 80s while this was going on? It, it was exciting. It was at that time, especially like I said, I, I didn't catch Bruce in the Stone Pony till 87. So that was post born in the USA when he was one of the biggest stars on the planet. But it, it was just exciting. It, you'd walk in and um, it was like uh, Sinatra walking into the bar <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it just, you, you just felt like you were privileged to be there. And again, pre internet, you know, People didn't know, so a lot of people used to go to shows hoping to see Bruce, and there were so many rumors, too. I can't tell you how many times, like, oh, you got to go to the Pony tonight. It's an absolute definite Bruce is playing. <laughs> we all know that one. Yes. <laughs> at at uh, to 2 a.m., and you didn't want to leave until 2 a.m. and go, nope, didn't happen. But it was always exciting. It, it was always real thrilling to know. That he, you never know when he might show up. And it wasn't just the Pony. There were other bars, too. Clarence had his club, Big Man's Western Red Bank. Yeah. And uh, there was another club in Long Branch. And uh, Bruce Abensall showed up at the a bar, the headliner in Neptune. He, he was all around at different places. He just wanted to play. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about it is that this man who had conquered the world, uh, it, at the time he was really, even after the river, he was huge soon to be even bigger, as we've been discussing in the last couple of episodes. But the idea that this guy was just going out to bars, often, as we know, by himself or with just a couple of friends, there was no entourage, there was no security. It's, it really is remarkable. I, you know, he just wanted to play. I think he enjoyed playing. I, I once heard him say from the stage of The Pony that he got his biggest thrill playing to the crowd at The Pony as he did at Madison Square Garden. It, that he just enjoyed playing and seeing people's reaction. And, I, you know, he just, he just loved getting out there. And the summer of 82, which I have to say, I never caught any of the shows. <laughs> he showed up, I believe it was 14 or 15 Sunday nights during the summer to play with Cats on a Smooth Surface. <laughs> so it was almost like a regular gig. Yeah. And then, and then in, I mean, in late, it was, a, it was October where they played, basically played a rehearse set together for, yeah. the, uh, for the Pony Anniversary Show. Like October third right, right. or something. Yes. Yep. That was yeah. it. I'm looking at Bruce Face now. October third, nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. There was even video out from that. I remember. And yeah. Really, I did not know that. Yeah. That would be yeah. that would be something if if someone has that full show. That would be <laughs> awesome to see. Yeah. Oh, I love those shows. If Bruce himself had them, of course, that those would be really fun to put out two or three of those as an archive set. Now that's not going to happen. I understand that, but man, and that would add to the legend for sure. Yes, mm. it would. Mm. And you know, I was even looking doing a little research for this spot. There was a date, July twenty third, nineteen eighty two. Bruce shows up, and this he just had mentioned in his recent uh, East Street Radio DJ spot about going to the Monmouth County Fair in Freehold. So he showed up, and this was, July, again, July 23rd, 1982. He plays with Sonny Ken and the Wild Ideas in the afternoon and does five songs with them at the Monmouth County Fair. Then later that night, he goes to the Fast Lane and plays with the Stray Cats. <laughs> so twice in one day. He was on fire. I mean, and it's funny because... I remember one of the we try to we try to we try to look at patterns even in, in Bruce's behavior and say oh once he finishes an album that's when he gets out to play, which was certainly true and and seemed to be true that rather in '87, but in but in '82, I feel like he spent all that year 
either with the band in the studio or trying to get Nebraska just right. So it's just the fact that he would, he would work in the studio for, I guess, several days, you know, endlessly trying to get the right takes or the right sound on the mastering of Nebraska and then just want to come home and just explode with, you know, on, on stage at the Pony or something. Mm. Mm. Just a yeah. theory. Yeah, I'm looking at well, almost like he was working out his frustrations because, you know, that <laughs> those studios were ongoing forever and they had the problems getting the acetate for Nebraska. So who knows what was going on? But yeah, I mean, over 40 appearances, as I said, in 1982 for free. Yeah. Yes, that was the thing. Then he, I mean, he was, and he was playing like three nights in a row and, you know, and every and every other every weekend. So. I mean, it was basically called the Bar Tour of 82, am I right? Yeah, yeah. And it was, like I said, we talked about earlier, it wasn't just the Stone Pony. I mean, the Brighton Bar in Long Branch, which is still there today, he played at Big Man's West, Clarence's Club, he played quite a few times. That's, I did catch him one time there. I remember it was a Saturday night, Beaver Brown was playing. <laughs> so I went to see, and I, I didn't even realize Saturday night, I didn't even realize Bruce was in there, the encore is coming, there's Bruce on stage. <laughs> it was wow. like, see, wow. It's so, it's so crazy. It's so yeah. Well, and, and the way the way I look at it, it's that it's so different from today, where there's a, there's an elect, there's a, like a, an electricity even in the even in the Paramount when he does Light of Day, or especially when he when he plays the Pony, it's like he's you know he's here he's here. There's like a buzz yeah. going all around, and and that you know it's so it's so interesting to hear that then in 1982 or so it was he just pop on, no one even know he was there. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the rumors would start more and more. Like I said, you know, we get the call. <laughs> we used to go, get the call. Yeah, <laughs> more uh, times than not, it did not happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Flynn hasn't been with us as much, but certainly me and Mrs. Flynn, who spent many a night on the shore where we heard, oh, you should probably be here tonight. And we went home empty handed, so to speak. But that was okay. Yeah. Well, my, my friend Joe used to call it paying your dues. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you just go up and every time you you choose to go up just for a chance or I mean, at the time I was living in the D.C. area. So that's why I say going up and OK, you know, so great. You, you saw him with Krusecki and then another night, it's, you know, two months later, you got to go again. And no, there's no Bruce. And, you know, you, you do have to pay your dues in, in that yes, respect. You do. Now, 1987, which is really a crazy time because he does three shows at the pony basically with the complete East street band once on April 12th and then April, uh, August 2nd and August 9th. Were you at any of those? Uh, no, I actually have a sad story about, uh, I'm not quite sure which one it was August 2nd or August 9th. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I was working a job in New York. So I was working actually for the New York Knicks basketball team and a new regime had come in. I was very worried about my job, but there were strong rumors. It was a Sunday night that Bruce was going to play with, with most of the E street band, if not the full band at the pony. I went to a monkeys concert at the garden state art center with Billy Smith because I didn't want to stay out to two in the morning and having to be in the city by eight a.m. the next day, trying to keep my job. <laughs> I elected not to, I dropped Billy off at the pony. I went home. Billy calls me the next day. Goes, well, you just missed Bruce and most of the East Street bands. <laughs> so that's, that's Billy Smith of the Asbury Park Rock and Roll Museum, right? Yes, yes. He actually yep. figures 
prominently into my first story at the Pony on July 1st, 1989, because he was standing next to us the whole night saying that Bruce was going to be there and it was 1.50 in the morning and he wasn't there yet. And then suddenly it's one of the most memorable events of my life because the side door to the Pony flung open and La Bamba was playing with the hubcaps. Were you there that night, Stan, on July 1st, 1989? I believe I was, yes, with La Bamba, yeah. What a crazy night. And the door opened and suddenly Bruce was 10 feet in front of me and, and I was underage. Which, yeah. I mean, I guess the statute of limitations has passed by now. Uh, and it was just so crazy being in that bar and that Bruce was there and he was playing and he was he was so energetic. And even though that one only lasted about 10 minutes or so, he was sweating. It was just a crazy, crazy scene and, and just so great and so great that he, he that he continues to do it, obviously not as often and more structured with like the light of day shows. But to this day, 70 years old, you know, there he was in January. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, okay, I have two questions. Uh, the first actually is, is for Hal. Yeah. Or actually, is, but for both of you, since both of you were probably there. Um, did you know, was he at the bar prior to jumping on stage? Or did he actually just walk in at, at 1.50 a.m.? and He walked start, in and, as far as I know. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Those days, um, although 1989, I'll tell you some stories in a second, but those days, like I said, were post-born in the USA, and it was kind of tough for him to be at the bar without security around him then, because people just would go nuts. I remember, God, I wish I remember when it was, but it probably was 87 one night, and he, he showed up at the back bar, and it was like, whoa, I remember thinking to myself, this has really changed. Like, you know, it was just like the superstars in the house and everyone's trying to get a look now. And it got a bit crazy. Yeah, so I, I actually experienced that because there was another night in 1989. I don't remember exactly which night it was. We went back. I was with my buddy Roger and Bobby was playing and Bruce was in the building and he he left. Now, I don't know if it was because of people bothering him or if he was just there hanging out. If I recall properly, I think Vinny Lopez has may have been the opening act that night, which would explain it. But there were definitely nights where he popped up once I was on the scene in 89, where it was uh, very crowded and perhaps not hospitable to him. And he, and he, he left. Yeah. Our, our locals rule was always, we wanted him to play. So we yeah. weren't going to bother him. <laughs> it's like, we're leaving him alone. We want him to get up on that stage. We want to be one of the those who can uh, say, hey, I was there, Bruce played, and, you know, I was one of those 500 people there that night. So, yeah. So, but there were those times, too, when he was there, and all of a sudden, it's like, mm, I don't see him anymore. He must have left. Yeah. Um, now, you said you're, the first time you saw Bruce at the Pony was 87. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that was... Um, as it turned out, I lost my job with the Knicks that Monday before, and so it was, I believe it was a Friday night, and he had pl he was playing, Little Steven was playing, ah, but I, yeah. I had gone to see Little Steven, and I remember Bruce walked in with Julianne, and that was the first time I saw her, and we said hello to her, she was very, very nice, and that was absolutely packed that night, and there's video out of that, too, and uh, <laughs> yes. you could see songs he did native american sun city but that that you know that was just part of how many times he was out in, 80, in 1987 and for me though it was like even though it was 1987 and now we're what 33 years later i remember to saying to myself i finally saw him at the pony yay <laughs> <laughs> now it also in 87 did i hear properly were you at mcclune's on halloween 
Iowa. Oh, well, we need to hear about that. Uh, yeah. That's a big one. That is a big one. That's one of the nights. It was Saturday night. You get the call. call. And again, as a matter of fact, I was with Billy Smith again. We got the call. And remember, these were landlines. You didn't have cell phones back then. So I think Billy and I were just hanging in my house on a Saturday night. Got the call. Said, you got to go to the Rome Runner in Seabright. It's happening. Bruce is playing. So we hop in the car. And the Rum Runner is not a big place. Where the bands play, maybe 200 people can oh, yeah. fit up. So we run down. We're, we go in, and the woman, and it's on the second floor, so we're on the first floor. And the woman said, no, they're, it's absolutely packed up there. We can't let anyone else up there. So we each pull out a $20 bill, and she says, I'd love to take it, but I can't. We're, you're not, we can't let you up there. So Billy and I walk outside, and we're like, all right, let's see if there's any other way we can get in. We look outside on the deck. There's a staircase going up to the second floor to an outside deck. Nobody's standing there. So we walk up that staircase. We see a door. The door goes right into the bar. We open the door. and We're just waiting for someone to kick us out. And nobody does. And after about a minute, we're like, I guess we're in. So, and that was pretty wild. That was the Halloween where they came in. Um, uh, what was it, the mask? Yeah, <laughs> they were in costume. The ski yeah, mask. Yeah, yeah, they wore ski masks, and um, but I, I missed the probably about the first three songs because we couldn't get in. Then when we finally got in, but it, that's when the first time they ever played a few Tunnel of Love songs in public that night. Bring yeah. this guy tougher than the rest, two faces and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was so to be there at the debut of that stuff, and and of course to be there with Bruce and the band playing in that small place. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and just one other 1987 bar appearances I want to mention. Uh, I wasn't at, but I'm sure you guys have heard it on bootlegs or whatever. Bruce did <laughs> reggae songs with John Love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he showed up a few places. I believe there's like a soundboard of him doing a reggae born in the USA in my hometown from that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. See, now, so eight. We- Oh, go ahead. Now, now you, I'm sorry. You say you were not there or you were there? I was not there. No. Okay. Because those are really, wild. Those were like a bar, one bar called Key Largo in Belmar, you know, that you would never expect Bruce to show up. Then another one was called the Green Parrot in Neptune, which uh, sort of played alternative music. But yeah, Bruce showed up and played with John Love a couple times. That's so wild. I mean, yeah, he really just, just wanted crazy. to get out and play and. The summer of 87 was really hard on me because by then I was a big fan and I knew what was going on. You would you would hear about these things. I was way too young and I couldn't experience it. But especially like the McLoon show on on October 31st. Now, I was lucky that I did see Bruce in that tiny room at McLoon's with uh, Flynn's <laughs> wife, I might add, on July 12th, 1991. Incredible when he guessed it with Bobby. But just uh, the experiences of that year and what people must have seen and felt, it, it really is amazing to consider. Yeah. Now, I can tell you, if we, uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead of you guys, but I apologize. But uh, I, f- I first saw Bruce August 21st, 1987 in The Pony. Jump a year later, and I just looked at this, and I couldn't believe it was the exact same date, August 21st, 1988. Bruce was on break from the Tunnel Love Tour. I believe they had just uh, ended the European stretch, and they were yes. going to get ready to do the um, Amnesty International Tour. It's a Sunday night. Uh, Katz is playing the Stone Pony, and I'm with again Billy Smith and a couple other friends, and it's getting late, and we're like, 
Should we hang? And there, there was one of those things you sort of always felt you had to stay to the very end, just in case <laughs> that, you know, you never want to leave at like one fifteen and have your friend call you. You missed it by 10 minutes. Bruce walked in. And this was one of those nights. It was late. It was probably about 1 a.m. And all of a sudden, Bruce walks in through the front door of the Stone Pony, hand in hand with Patty. And this was sort of like their first public appearance as a couple at the Jersey Shore. Wow. And he was joined. It was with Mark Pender and Ed Mannion were with them. I understand they were at a barbecue or something, and they just decided to go down to the pony. And Bruce, it was late, and he jumped on stage and did two songs with Cats that night. And that was, I think it was like by 2 a.m. by the time it was done. But I almost left that night, but I didn't. So I was glad to catch that one. You want to hear something funny? That a week, I believe that was a Sunday night, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, the following Sunday Roger and I went down to the Pony the first time I ever set foot in Asbury Park, hoping that they would repeat it before they he left for the Amnesty Tour. Of course, mm. he didn't that night, but that <laughs> was the first time I ever went to Asbury Park, and <laughs> I've obviously been back many times since. <laughs> mm. Well, good thing you paid your dues, right? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, totally paying my dues so much and of course bruce's appearances continued well beyond the 1980s this is jumping ahead a little but stan i forget were you with us at mars no i missed that one that was 1995 right i believe 1994 1995 yeah yeah i missed that one i was always working nights so i missed a lot i was always working for newspapers after i left the knicks so i was always working on the night test so a lot of times uh, i couldn't make these uh shows at night well well let's go back to 89 before yeah, we go let's back talk before about we move on to the 90s because yeah. i think saying you saw a bunch of shows that summer right yeah that's where it just seemed he was out and about again i mean i, I don't ever want to get into bruce's mind or try to figure out but I don't know if it was just, you know, I, maybe he touched on this in his autobiography too, but he just need, felt like with everything that happened, uh, his marriage had broken up. He was with Patty. Uh, he had more success than he probably ever could have imagined, but he just, he was out a ton during the summer of 89. And it, it, that was again, where I remember every time you felt you walked into the stone pony to see, um, either Bobby Bandiera or somebody like that, Nils Lofgren, you, you felt Bruce was going to be there. And I remember one night I walked in and I don't remember who I was going to see. And I walked in it fairly early, like 1030, which is early for the bar at the time. And I remember the, I, I paid the cover and I, I looked and in front of the stage was already five deep. And I just said, Bruce is here, <laughs> meaning the same thing, like the people saw him, were getting ready for him to play at some point that night. And yeah, he was there that night in the bar. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they got the call too, so. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was the call or just, it was a point where you felt like you could have had a chance to see Bruce. Yeah. It went out uh, during that summer oh, of 89. Okay. I certainly was getting no calls in the summer of 1989, that's for sure. But we just happened to be there, fortunately, on a couple of good nights. So, Well, that that was basically the Santa Claus at the North Pole summer, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he talked about that. He talked about that one in his in that big 92 Rolling Stone interview. Right. And I mean, Stan, do you remember? I mean, if people were. You know, crowding him in 87, it must have been even worse in 89. 
Yes and no. It was, I, you know, I don't remember it being that crazy. I, I, I do remember, I don't know if it was more people got the, you know, realized, hey, leave him alone because you really want to see him play. So, and you, you know, there was no cell phone cameras then or anything yeah. like that. So where I did see it, I'm trying to remember either in 87, that, that time, this was more, it wasn't as crazy. I remember even one night I was there in the raised area of the pony on the other side of the stage where they have some tables and I was just standing up there and Bruce and Patty, I didn't even realize it were right in front of me. And Bruce turns around, and no one was bothering him, and I didn't realize it was them. Bruce turns around to me and says, you got the time. And I'm like, oh, it's Bruce Wakesy, whoa. And I'm looking at my watch, and it didn't even hit me. So, so yeah, I, I remember that. So I think things did calm down a bit where they weren't getting, where it wasn't that crazy, where, where they felt comfortable in there. Now, and I know you said you don't want to get in the Bruce's head, <laughs> but it seemed like in 89, that was the summer he, he realized that he needed to take the long goodbye, so to speak. Um, was there a difference in demeanor between seeing him in 89 and, say, in 87 or, or even 79 and 80 at the fast lane? Uh, yeah, he seemed – I don't want to say he wasn't as enthusiastic. He was, but it, it just seemed he was more comfortable with himself out there in, in the bars playing and everything. And um, – you know, just it just felt like we were always wondering what's next, and uh, I guess this was prior to him fire, letting go the E Street Band. But yeah, he, it was a little bit of a difference I noticed uh, at the time. He, he just seemed a little bit more subdued. Okay, all right. That's that's I always had that, had that suspicion, and I mean, there were some nights when it sounded like what was the night he did Hound Dog at the Pony, and he was he grabbed the mic and was on the dance floor. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at probably June 24th, 1989. Oh, yeah, it was all those stories from June that got us down there on July 1st. And you do wonder what was going on in his head at the time. There was just so much going on that summer. Oh, including his uh, his upcoming departure to L.A. And one other real quick story I'll give you. Um, Nils Lofgren played the pony. And... Um, I believe it, uh, 1989 and here, June 9th, 1989, I got, I got off work. I was working that night. They asked Ray Park press. And I remember I had a ticket. Uh, no, I didn't have a ticket to see Nils, but I figured I'd go down. I got off work about 11 o'clock. I raced down to the pony and I went, I never went to the front door thinking that it would just be sold out. So I'm standing outside right there on second Avenue listening. And I hear Bruce, they start playing not fade away. And I'm going, there's like two other people with me. I'm like, Oh man, Bruce is playing with them. So we're just listening and take it in. And Butch, who was running the pony, the owner of the pony comes outside and said, what are you guys doing out here? Come on in. It's no even cover right now. So it was like, duh, I should have just tried to get in the front door to begin with. So we got him for free and got to see Bruce play with Nils that night. So that was All very right. well. Now, right. another notable one from 89. Were you there on July 23rd when he played with Cats? That was always that was something that circulated on tape. I was bummed that, that I missed that at the time. That's the night they opened with all-time rock and roll. I think he may have just jumped on stage while they were doing the song. And uh, the set also included Hound Dog from Small Things, Under the board, Boardwalk, Sweet Little 16, Glory Days, and Carol. Yes, I, be I believe I was there that night, yep. Yep. Any memories? <laughs> it's funny. I, I didn't 
No, I, I remember like, someone has a picture of me, not me, a Bruce, and I can see myself off to the left. So that's the memory of it from that night. But yeah, you know, the memories were, were always fun. Yeah, it was always exciting that you were there. And, uh, you know, a lot of them blended into one another. We didn't have Bruce space back then or anything. So it was no. sort of like you tried to remember, you know, when you were there. But that one I was at, yes. Well, I remember calling the, the Backstreet's uh, boss hotline uh, from a family trip in, like, Colorado or something, um, where it was like, oh, he, 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 played with the, he played at the Pony, or he played, at, he played in Seabright, or T-Birds, and it was just, you know, I mean, that, was, that seemed to be the main conduit of information at the time, and that in Rolling Stone. That was how yeah. I was, fi- yeah, that's how I was finding out stuff was through the Backstreet's hotline. And of course, of course, Rolling Stone, you know, you didn't hear anything for, you know, two to four weeks after it happened because of the publication delay, you know, so different than today where we actually get live, live set list updates when he's playing basically <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, too, like, I, you know, looking back at Bruce Space now and I'm looking like he played bars all around me and it's like, I don't recall any of these. Like, so you didn't even hear about them all at the time. It was just... Wow. You know, yeah. but he, he was out. But, you know, it's to this day, it's still exciting. You know, it was the five year anniversary of Bruce playing with Joker Shecky just passed at the Wonder Bar from 2015. And uh, we don't have those that many of those nights anymore, but hopefully we'll still get a few more down the line because it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it, really to be on the shore and to be down in Asbury and to have that happen, you know, was just overwhelming when i was younger and even because we were all there in january even now as a, as a wise adult will say you know when bruce walks out on that stage and, and we didn't know he was going to be there in january until i think earlier that day of light of day right yeah yeah it wasn't confirmed really to that morning yeah. <laughs> it really is a magical power the guy has uh, you think about it he shows up somewhere he turns the place upside down the energy level goes through the roof it really is amazing i remember one person telling me they saw him in one of the shows in 89 i, f- I forget which one and they said it was they could see him evolve or just turn into the greatest rock star on the planet right in front of their eyes. He jumped on stage, you know, a mere mortal, but then within seconds, he was the, the rock star that we all know. And that's, that always had a, had an impression on me, even though I've never really, I don't think I've ever really seen that. Mm-hmm. When's the first time you saw him in a bar, Flynn? Uh, the wallflowers, 97. So uh, I'm really dead. behind everybody. <laughs> There's another place, the trade wind. Yeah. That's gone too now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I saw him. Who did I see him with? Oh, yeah, I saw him with Steve Earle at Tradewinds also. That was a fun show uh, in early 98. I think it was February 98. Now, you were not at the Grusecki show in the summer of 95, were you? Talking to me or Stan? Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm, I assume Stan was there. No, I was, I was not. Stan? I, again, was working on a Saturday night. Knew it was going to happen, as I think everybody in the whole world did that night. Got down there, and someone pulled out, and I got a parking space, which I didn't realize how fortunate I was. And I caught about, from the third song on, through the doors, I could see the stage. And from what I understand, Hal, if you were there, you can tell me, it was absolutely packed, dangerously packed in there that night. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I wasn't at that one. Actually, I was getting updates that night from 
Claudine Flynn's wife the entire night. I was crushed that I wasn't there. And by all accounts, and we talked about this, I think, on the show we did about 94, 95, it was absolutely a zoo. So, yes, you were uh, probably uh, the fact that you could hear it and not be in the crush. Yeah, I could see it, too. Uh, Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, that's a yeah. It's 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 funny. It's it's great to see a Bruce in the bar like that. But at the same time, just say goodbye to any personal space whatsoever, and you're yeah. going to get other people sweat on you. And so if you're if you're claustrophobic, it's really not the best situation. But, but that's really part of the appeal. I, yeah, you know, that is. first night we saw Bruce in July 1989 when we walked out of the Pony, and it was a hot, muggy summer night. We were so drenched. It's such a stunning memory. And, you know, we understand that not everyone listening to this has been able to experience it in person. And I, I hope we're bringing the experience a little bit to life here tonight with our recollections. Well, well, thank you, Stan, for joining us. We really appreciate uh, you coming oh, this on has and, been great. and sharing some of your stories. Thank you. I've listened to every one of your podcasts, so it's really an honor to be with you, <laughs> with the oh, two of you. You're two of the you. most knowledgeable Bruce fans out there, and Aww. it's a must-listen for all. Oh, Aww. thanks. But, Flattery will get you everywhere. Exactly. But well, we have to we have to promote you, Stan. I mean, you uh, you do the you and Gene Milky do the rock and roll rock and roll tours of Asbury Park at the Jersey Shore. Yeah, right? we we've been doing tours since 1999, and we also have a book out, Rock and Roll Tour of the Jersey Shore. And, and how could, uh, we how were very people get that. They can go to our website, NJ, like New Jersey, NJ Rock Map, R O C K M A P dot com, NJ Rock dot com. Has information on our book, on our tours. Unfortunately, with the current situation, we haven't <laughs> done any tours, but uh, Gene and I do private tours of uh, the shore and show people all around Asbury Park, Freehold, Long Branch, Belmar, and show them all the Bruce sites here. Uh, yes, I, I actually took one. I did it a couple, was it just last summer or two summers ago? I think two summers ago, yeah. I think, I think you're right, yeah. And it, it really was illuminating. I mean, I've, I had seen a lot of those sites in my own, you know, pilgrimages over the years. But it was great to have, to hear you tell some of the stories that, that I honestly I hadn't heard before. So that's always a good thing. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. So, and Stan, just before we let you go, uh, you want to weigh in? Uh, Take odds, what, release this fall. What do you think? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I go with tracks too. You know, in November, I, I you know, I don't think he'll put out a new album until it's safe where they know they can tour behind. I it. agree. And yeah. who knows when that will be? And uh, so I think why not do the same thing? Put out a tracks too. Good for Christmas and. Uh, you know, that's what I think. But one thing with Bruce, you never know. You never know what he's going to do or predict. Who knew we were getting Western stars before last April? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 2019. True. Yeah. That is true. Well, Stan, thank uh, you so much again. We really, really appreciate it. We look forward to being able to see you on the road, hopefully sometime <laughs> <laughs> soon. Hopefully uh, soon. Yes. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Our pleasure. Take care, Stan. Take care. Good night. And that was Stan Goldstein again, one of our good buddies. And next up, we have another close friend. If you've ever seen any photos taken at the shore, they've run in Rolling Stone. They've run in Backstreets. They've run in her magnificent book, Bruce Springsteen and Focus, 1980 to 2012. We've got Deb Rothenberg, one of the deans of Jersey Shore Photography. Deb, how are you? (laughs) Good. How are you guys doing? 
we're doing well. Thank, thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, um, so you saw Bruce down at the shore in '87. So I'm, I'm jealous right there. <laughs> <laughs> what was, uh, what was your first time? It was July 31st, 1987, and Marshall Crenshaw was playing, and I love Marshall, still do. And I went and I brought my camera. And unbeknownst to me, but it seems like everybody around me knew that Bruce was there. And the encores come around and Marshall gets back on the stage and says something to the effect, I understand the most famous rock star in the world is here, Bruce Springsteen. And I'm shaking and I'm reloading the camera. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm two feet away from the stage. Not even, like it really two inches away from the stage. And Bruce doesn't take the stage. And I looked at my friend, Debbie Mayer, and I said, it's probably not right to say this on the air, but I said, God damn it, he's here, and I'm here, and he's not going to take the stage. And Marshall does a song, and he announces Bruce again, and Bruce takes the stage. And I kept shooting, kept shooting. And I was working for a paper down in Toms River, New Jersey, and I had the key to the building, so this was the film days, pre-digital. I drove back down stayed up all night printing and then two nights later bruce showed up with the i don't know if it was the whole band but i remember patty was there and clarence was there i think and, it, well well according to bruce base here it's a, it was everybody except nils okay that's what i thought and a bunch of us went to another club because we heard a rumor that bruce was going to be at another club and again remember this is before cell phones before texting so you just you there was a whole group of us that just would go from place to place and we get to the other club and he's not there and we get back to the pony and he's on stage and I couldn't get anywhere near the stage. And my friend Marty Ventura was there and he said, get on my shoulders. And I remember <laughs> saying to him, no, I'm going to crush you. Marty's like a little taller than me. I'm like, I'm going to crush you. Get on my shoulders. I'm like, no, I'm going to crush you. No. And he insisted. And I remember just slowly rising out of the crowd. And Bruce is looking at me, and the look on his face was like, how the hell are you doing that? <laughs> and awesome. I, my head hit the roof, the ceiling, and I was so nervous on his shoulders that I just said, you know, put me down, put me down. I think I took less than 10 photos that night, which should have been the first time I saw him with the full band at the club. But fortunately, I had another opportunity a week later when, again, I think it was everybody except Nils that showed up. Oh, that's such an amazing story, Deb. I'm looking actually at your book now, the pictures you took that first night with Marshall Crenshaw. Great shots. Well, the, that first night, I remember after he played the second night, I remember going back to the darkroom with Marty, and he stayed with me all night as I printed. And the next day, I called up Rolling Stone and I introduced my, they didn't know who I was, and I introduced myself to them. And I said, I have pictures of Bruce Springsteen with Marshall Crenshaw at the Stone Pony. Uh, I didn't really even mention the uh, the night two nights later because the picture stunk. And I said, are you interested? And they said, no. And they hung up on me. <laughs> so I sent the pictures anyway. I thought, Why? You know, what the hell? What's it going to cost me? Like a couple bucks. Right. And I remember it was that week. They didn't even call me to tell me the pictures were in. But Marty called me. Uh, and for some reason, I think Rolling Stone came out more than once a month back then. Because I know I that the was picture... Like it I think, made well, them I think it was like, yeah, bi-weekly. Okay, because Marty called me and he's like, Deb, you're in Rolling Stone. I'm like, you're kidding. I didn't even know. And right after he called me, they called me. And they said, hey, we used your picture in Rolling Stone. And I remember they offered me uh, 
lot of money. Even today, <laughs> even today, it would be a lot of money for a picture because today pictures don't sell for much. And they said, are you okay with that? I'm like, sure. And then when Bruce played on the 9th, they called me the following day and they said, were you at the Stone Pony the other night? And I said, yes, I was. And they said, did you take pictures? And I said, yes, I did. And they said, please send them to us. And anytime you get Bruce, please send us the pictures. Here's our FedEx number. And they said, wow. are, you, are you available for assignments? I said, absolutely. So for the next two years, I think I was in every, every issue of Rolling Stone. And this all happened because I didn't listen to them. They didn't want okay. the pictures. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to send them anyway. And that's, that's what, that's how the, the two years with, you know, with Rolling Stone and a lot of other things that happened back then, that's how it happened. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to send them anyway. And you became like his personal photographer. There's a beautiful shot here in the book backstage at the pony. Did he personally know you at that point? And it was, the was only, you comfortable? The first time that I remember him saying something to me was, I think it was, in it was De December 5th in 1987 when I just decided to do something that I normally don't do. I'm, I don't dance. I'm always taking pictures. And I, sa I said to myself, just take some pictures and then put the camera, just let the camera dangle and see what it's like. Because everyone's like, oh, leave the camera home. Enjoy yourself. And I always tell people I don't enjoy myself unless I have the camera. But it was kind of a test. And I remember Bruce came over to me. And he looked, he looked at me and he smiled. He looked down at the camera. He looked back at me and he smiled and he kept on looking back at the camera. And then at one point he throws his, his hands out to the side and he goes, Debbie. So I pick <laughs> up the camera and, and I take pictures and he's laughing and I'm laughing. And all the people around me started shaking me like, oh my God, oh my God, does he know you? Did you do you know him? I'm like, no. And the only thing that I could still think to this day, like what, 30 years later, 30 something years later is that he probably reads photo credits and my pictures were always in the Asbury Park Press. They were in Rolling Stone. They were other places that to me, that's the only thing that I could think of was that he reads photo credits and you kind of figure out when there's really no other woman taking pictures that, Oh, that must be her. <laughs> so, um, and that was before that I really, I, I had opportunities to meet him. I had opportunities to get my picture taken with him or, to get an autograph and I never wanted to. I, it was always more important to me to get the picture of him signing autographs or him posing with other people. The only time that, so that picture backstage, I honestly don't really remember how that happened. Um, <laughs> I know that I was, I was, I must, someone must've told me to go backstage or he told me to go backstage or somebody brought me backstage because I never went backstage at the Pony. Uh, the only time actually I went backstage at the Pony was with a bon, with Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi told me to meet him there back in 1989. Oh, so that wow. was the only that was the only time I actually had permission to be there, but it's just even to this day I get backstage passes and I don't go unless I'm personally friends with the musician or someone in the band. It's just not and and if I know I could take pictures too. It's just not what I do. Now, going back to the summer of 87, of course, and we just talked about this with Stan, Bruce was the biggest rock star in the world at the time. Being in these clubs and having him show up as a surprise and you were shooting him, did he seem like he had the rock star ego? What was the feel there? Because it was just such an unusual thing to have this guy. We counted. He he did almost 100 
guest appearances or surprise appearances in the 80s down on the shore. And it, he really was on top of the world at the time. He could have been doing anything. And here he was at the Pony playing for free. I, I thought that it was just... You would never, I don't know what the capacity of the pony was back then. Let's say they crammed in a thousand people, if that, I don't even That's know. That's probably about right, yeah. But yeah. it was like he was playing in front of a stadium with a hundred thousand people. He gave his all. I remember there was one night um, in 1989 when he showed up with Cats on a Smooth Surface. And there was a whole group of us that would go to the pony every Sunday night. And we went for, for Joey and the Works and cats on a smooth surface and to hang out together. It was a social time for us. And countless times Bruce showed up, but our reason for going was to see each other, to just chill out, relax. My reason for going was really just to perfect my photography. Now, I want to talk more about that second Sunday night in, uh, in August 87, uh, the, the, the second time that the whole band was there. You got that, uh, that amazing shot of Bruce and Patty dancing. Yes. And... You you were you sitting on the stage or had you gotten there at three o'clock in the afternoon to stake your territory because if, there was nobody I, between you and Bruce. If I clocked in the hours that I waited in line to get in, oh, <laughs> I can't even imagine how many hours waiting in line to get in and then waiting for the if the first band. Sometimes there were second bands. I don't remember if. I heard a rumor that he was going to be there that day. Probably I did. Um, there were also other times where I most, of, there was a lot of times where I would be on the guest list because whoever was playing wanted me to shoot them. Do you remember much about that night? I mean, the set list looking at it, it's so cool. You got light of day in there. I'm bad. I'm nationwide. Fortunate son, stand by me, having a party, twist and shout, glory days and others. Do, what do you recall of that night besides shooting your wonderful shots? I, I remember being so drenched after because <laughs> it was so hot and just every single time seeing him, I, I, also, I remember people looking at me and saying, oh, my God, are you, like, wasted? Are you on drugs? And I remember saying, Bruce Springsteen and photography are the only drug that I need. And so, yeah, I, do, I don't remember all the songs in a row, but I remember the energy level and the excitement level. And I remember him dancing. And it's funny because it was some point this year, I think there was a whole Instagram battle over that photo because Patty Patty put it up on her Instagram and people were, she put it up with a date and somebody said, no, that's the wrong date. And then somebody tagged me on it. <laughs> so I remember saying what the date was and somebody's arguing with me. <laughs> no, that's the wrong date. And I said, uh, dude, I took the picture. <laughs> it's stamped on the slide. I know when this was taken and you could say I'm wrong, but I, I was there, you know, and the guy wasn't even there when he was saying that. Of course not. Um, well, yeah. let me, let me ask about another, another one of your famous shots from the pony. This one from 88, mm -hmm. I believe was from August 88 at the pony. Um, 21st. Right. Okay. Where he, he showed up I mean, in the picture you took, you, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, an amazing close up. It's almost like you were, you know, two feet away from him, but it's funny. You were. <laughs> okay. That, that well, photo, and you really captured the emotion in his face in that shot. That's, well, that but is that still, to this day, that is one of my favorite photos. Thank you for liking it because I, I always thought that that would be my one photo of him. That would be like, you know, as they say, oh, that's the money shot. That's the best shot. <laughs> and I remember that it was a Sunday night. 
and the whole group of us, like I said, we went to the Pony. Bruce was on tour. I think that he was still doing uh, the Tunnel Tour. Well, he the he had ramped up the Tunnel Tour about three weeks or almost three weeks earlier in Spain. So he was kind of on a little break before the, the Amnesty Tour started. Okay, I remember there was no rumor whatsoever that he was going to be there. And, and the whole bunch of us met up there. And I just bought a new zoom lens that I was testing out. And back then, zoom lenses stunk. You just, if you were a photographer, you just didn't use zoom lenses back then. And I thought, let me try this zoom lens. And I just bought it. And I brought it with me to try out on cats. And it had a macro function on it. And I was right in the front row. And for that photo, Bruce actually leaned into my camera. I put it on macro and he leaned into the camera. So he was interesting. That, that, how you see that picture, that's what takes up the entire negative. I could make it, it, it was shot horizontally. For sometimes I printed it vertically, but that, that horizontal shot, that is how that takes up the whole negative. He was probably within two inches of my lens. And I thought, why is he leaning in? I was actually. So he, he, he knew you were taking pictures. I believe so. And I was actually nervous because I thought, why is he doing this? Is he going to grab the camera for me? What's he doing? And he he looked very sad that night. The other pictures I have of him, you know, full body shots and playing the guitar. He looked he didn't look his, himself. He didn't look like the happy Bruce that he always looked like when he was on stage. Yeah, that's that's he, what I was gonna, I was going to ask about, because I mean, and the picture I brought up earlier of him and, and Patty dancing, he's got this big you know, Cheshire, Cheshire smile going on. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas in the picture of, uh, that we were talking about the close up from eight, from August 88. I mean, he looks like he'd rather be anywhere else or, or something. Yeah. Well, he had been through a lot that year, as we know. I yeah. know, I know. I'm always, but I'm now I'm curious as to what about his demeanor for that night? I mean, did, did he, did his body language say, I don't want to be here. I'm unhappy or, or what? The body language didn't show that, but the face definitely seemed like he was somewhere else. But the guitar playing was right. I mean, guitar playing was phenomenal. I remember that. I mean, I, I love his guitar playing. I love when he wails on that guitar. I still, to this day, don't have the exact photo that I want of him playing that guitar. I have a picture in my mind, and I still don't have it. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get it at this <laughs> point. But, uh, but that, yeah, let's hope. But, but that night, yeah, he... You know, musically, he was spot on. The body language didn't show that he didn't want to be there. Um, I don't. I can't remember how many songs he played, but I he was on stage for for was definitely a few songs, if I remember, because I have quite a few photos of him. That's the one that definitely will, I'll always remember that photo. But he, yeah, he, his mind didn't seem like he was. You know, we've heard through the years that he's happiest when he's on stage and that he suffered depression. Um, I never saw that before that on stage before that night. Hmm, and it just, okay. didn't, it didn't change for the whole, the whole time he was on stage. It didn't, I don't think he cracked a smile at all that night. Oh, wow. Well, the interesting thing about all these appearances is we know he was only there because he wanted to be there because he was mm-hmm. not under contract. He was certainly not getting paid. Right. So that was where he wanted to be at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And he'd obviously been through what we know he had been through on the tunnel tour with the picture on the balcony and everything that followed and maybe he was having a rough time, but, uh, and I, I believe he showed up kind of late that night. I think that the whole group of us, I think we were, pl- we were about to leave or we were almost at the door when we heard he's here. 
And it was fairly late. It's like, he's here. It's like, we did not expect that at all. Well, the first night I saw Bruce at the Pony, which was July 1st, 1989, you were like my hero. I actually, you don't know this. I had your pictures on my wall. They ran in backstreets <laughs> from that night. I cut them out of backstreets. It was like the biggest event like that. We Roger and I had gone to the Pony. We just talked about this with Stan. And it was another hot, muggy night. And this magical thing happened to 1.50 in the morning. And then there you were documenting it in the next issue of Backstreets. It was like well, so I, I, great. I remember that night because in line I met this couple from England. And they were maybe five people away from me on the other side of the stage. So I got them in a whole bunch of pictures with Bruce. And they were super excited about that. Yeah, that was definitely another hot. Storm, hot, hot night in the stone pony. <laughs> oh, those nights. I, you, you know, when I was young, as we were saying, when Stan was on, I wasn't even yet 21 at that <laughs> time. And I was in through methods that we won't talk about on the air. And, I know uh, a lot of people like that. And to, it was just so, just thinking to, that I was in that bar and he was there 10 feet in front of me. It was just, just amazing to think about. <laughs> Fun times for sure. Now, do any other shows really stand out for you, even, you know, 30 some odd years later? Oh, yeah. Um, June 2nd, 1989, I think it was the Jazz and Blues Festival. And Killer Joe D'Elia was playing with Max Weinberg. Okay. And Bruce, Bruce and Patty were there. And Joe's piano was right in front of me. And Bruce jumped up on the piano and he's playing the piano with his boot. <laughs> okay. I mean, so I wish I could. There's so many, all of these shows, I wish I could go back to them because I'm so much better a photographer now. And I look at some of the pictures, I'm like, oh man, technically, oh. Oh, but you got everything you needed. And and it's so real. And uh, there's a picture I'm looking at right now from July 23rd, 1989, which is another show we talked about with Stan. That was always one of my favorite ones to listen to. It circulated on tape. He was he played with cats and they did yeah. old time rock and roll. And you've got a shot of him beaming on stage and sort of like a, a medium shot. That's just such a great shot. That was actually the show. That was the one. I, th I think I made a mistake earlier when I said it was another show. That was the show, July 23rd, 1989, where I stopped shooting. And that's when Bruce came over to me and looked at me, looked at my camera, kept looking down at my camera and smiling, and then put his arms out to the side. And he's like, Debbie! And that's when I'm like, and he started laughing. I remember hearing that high-pitched laugh of his. And I'm clicking yeah. away, and, and he, nod he nods his head. Thank you. And then he went to the other side of the stage and that's when everybody was grabbing me. You know him, you know him. So that was that night. I think I got the date wrong. That's okay. We're not going to hold it against you. <laughs> yeah. It's 30 years <laughs> later was... and, you, and you were there. So we're just jealous. 31 that, years that, later. That, was, that was that, that July 23rd, 1989. That was a really great show. That was but that, great... that makes real sense because looking at the photos, he looks like he's playing directly to you. Oh yeah, he was. And he, he was waiting for me to pick the camera up. And I, I to this day, like I said, the only I, I never met him before that. The only thing I could just assume still, what is that, like uh, 31 years later, is that he saw my pictures in the paper and Rolling Stone and put two and two together. Oh, female? That must be her. <laughs> and when I was working for the paper, my first newspaper job in New Jersey, I went by the photo credit D.L. Rothenberg. I think at that point I started using Deborah L. Rothenberg. So it was no, like if it was D.L. Rothenberg, he might not have thought like, oh, that could be a guy. You know, and there were there were a lot of a lot of guys shooting pictures then, but there were I was the only woman back then shooting. <laughs>
And but and it was funny that he called you Debbie because I don't think I've ever heard anyone call you Debbie. Well, I used to go by actually Debbie was what everybody called me. And oh. really, when I moved to the city in 1999, when I started, you know, professionally, it was Deborah L. But I have people asking you know, all the time, what do you prefer, Debbie, Deb, Deborah? I'm like, oh, I don't care. Anything. Oh, okay. Just don't say, hey, shit, have you? <laughs> Deb, I feel like I should know this, but have you ever done a planned photo shoot with Bruce? It depends how you say planned, meaning <laughs> planned in the sense that, hey, let's go to a studio. No, yes. planned okay. where, hey, show up here, but don't tell anybody. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, uh, very. You know, plans where it was somebody else saying, hey, we have to tell you this. Be here. Okay. So pl those those are planned, but planned is where saying, you know, hey, come to this. Let, let's let's do pictures in the studio. Let's drive around in my car. No. How, you know, for there was a long time where I thought, oh, yeah, you know, let's let's hang out in your car for a day and go around taking pictures. Sure, I'll do that. Yeah. No although, kidding. although, although I would rather have that, you know, in from 1999 till now, because I'm that much better of a photographer, I can imagine if I had that opportunity back then, if I would have screwed it up somehow, or if they, if I would look at the pictures now and go, ah, I had the best opportunity and I sucked back then. So. Uh, where did the shot from the cover of your book come from? Oh, oh, yeah, that was a great day. It was February 15th, 1988, and it was President's Day. It was a Monday, and it was three days before my 26th birthday. I had the day off. And I was heading into Asbury. There was a boat show going on, and I wanted to go to the boat show. And it was one of two times in my photo career that I left without the camera. And it was the last time I ever left without the camera. And I was driving through Bradley Beach on Main Street, and there were so many cars. And I see this old car coming toward me, and I love old cars. So I looked down at the license plate to see what year is it. And I think it said 1957. I think it was... A, I think it was a Buick or a Chevy. I can't remember. And then I wanted to see, like, who's driving this? Who Actually, who's the jerk driving this? <laughs> I wanted the car. Who's the lucky bastard driving this car? And I look up, and we were close enough that if we both put our, our, our hands out, we would have touched each other. And I look at the driver, and I shouted, holy shit. <laughs> and he smiles. He heard me and he smiles and I see in the back seat of the car, there's a camera, a video camera. So I look in the rearview mirror and I see that the car turns down Main Street, turns down rather toward Ocean Avenue. This I, is in Asbury or Bradley? No, this is Bradley Beach. Okay. So I turn around and I rush home to Belmar. I lived on 10th Avenue in Belmar. <laughs> and I called up Billy Smith and Steve Bumble who ran the Asbury Park Rock and Roll Museum. And... Again, remember, it was before cell phones and all. And I was so <laughs> frantic. And I said, Bruce, old car, Ocean Avenue, Bradley Beach. And I hung up. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I, I get there and they're there. And we're looking around for the car and nothing. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I said, what are you guys doing now? You want to come to the boat show? And they're like, yeah, why not? So we get into Asbury and we park across the street from the Wonder Bar, which back then the Wonder Bar is not what it is now. Uh, there was, I don't even know if they had music. If you went in there during the day, you kind of saw old men drinking. Yeah, it was a dive bar, let's be honest about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. It's okay to be honest. It was yeah. kind of a scary dive bar. And 
were, uh, we parked the car and all of a sudden I looked down the street and I'm like, uh, 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 guys, the car. And the car comes down the street and it parks and Bruce gets, and all I had on my camera was a 24 millimeter lens. And for those that don't know photography, that is a very wide angle lens. You really need to be super close up to the person to get them to fill the frame. And Bruce gets out of the car and he says, and he's laughing in his, in his giggle, you know, his giggle. And he's like, hey, you found me. Good for you. I took two pictures and the battery died. And huh. the first picture it went bloop, bloop. And the second one, bloop, bloop. And that's the cover of the book. And I think that's when they were filming in the Wonder Bar, the one step up, two steps Yeah, that would have been, that sounds accurate. Yes, that and is I, rem that I is remember true. Me, Billy, and Steve, we snuck in, we got kicked out, we snuck in, we got kicked out. I don't know how many times we were kicked out. And then there was at one point where the director said, I admire your guys' perseverance. You could stay, just don't get in the way. So at one point they came and they plucked Billy away. And I think it might have been Neil Preston as the set photographer, taking all these pictures of Billy sitting at the bar. I don't know if Bruce was next to him, I can't remember, but... Me and Steve were like, oh, man, look at Billy. <laughs> and then at one point, they come over to us and they said, okay, we want you to be a walk-by, but ignore the camera. And I said, what's a walk-by? And they said, just walk back and forth slowly. <laughs> Never look at the camera. And I think it took about 28 years before I was watching that video really slowly. And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow, that's pretty amazing. At the very end of that video, I, I had a point-and-shoot camera with me, and I wanted to pull it out. And Steve's like, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. I'm like, I have to. No, don't do it. And, I, and Bruce was dressed up as an old man. And I took, oh. I, I pulled out the camera, took a picture of him as an old man, which never made the video. And that picture's, I think it's, a, I'm pretty sure that's in the book. I know Backstreet's ran it. Yeah, it's, I think it's even in the Backstreet's book. I saw it somewhere, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, Rolling Stone ran it. Uh, and they did a story about the video. And they were like, do you have any other pictures? And I was like, no, that's you know, just other pictures when it was all over. But the one thing I also remember was it was so cold in there and how long it took them to film. How long is that song? Three minutes? Like four minutes. <laughs> it took so long. That's what film production is like. I know. I know. I know. Uh, but I, at least I walked away with, you know, a picture from a point and shoot camera that I was happy with. Getting back to the cover shot of your book, Deb. I really love that shot so much. And it, I don't know if I've ever really seen him look better than you caught him there. Technically, that picture could be a thousand times better. But visually, it's, it says it all. He was happy. I think he was happy to see me. He really does seem very comfortable with you, Deb. What about today when you see him? Does he still recognize you? You know, oh. it's, it's so interesting because I really think that he's just looking at a woman with the camera. But the whole Broadway thing, the times that I went out there, I always, and, and I remember the, so it was a week before it opened that I had heard they were doing dress rehearsals. And so I went to the theater and there was nobody there, no, no fans, no photographers. And there was a chair outside by, on the side of that, the door that he would walk in and out of. So I sat down on the chair and I remember I, I just got a new camera. So I was, and I never pull a camera out really until the last minute, but I pulled the camera out and it was probably like 3.30 in the afternoon. 
and I'm looking at this camera. I don't understand manuals, so I have to play with the camera to figure out how to use it. So I'm playing with the camera, and the door opens, and this man walks out, and he's like, and he nods at me, he goes, how you doing? I'm like, good. And all of a sudden, Bruce comes out. And he so goes, the man, well. The man wasn't Bruce. The, no, the man, I, I, it was some bald guy. I think he <laughs> Security guy, I, I can't. I, I don't remember what his name is. Everybody, everyone, ended up talking to him. Oh, um, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Tony, something or other. Tony, that's it. Tony, and sorry that I called him bald. Um, <laughs> handsome bald man. And then Bruce comes out, and he looks at me, goes, "Well, hi there. How are you?" And I'm like, "Holy shit!" I'm like, "Good." And I think I said, "Can I get a shot of you?" And He's waving in the shot with just the, the door, the marquee in the background. And I actually got that twice. But the following week when it was, I don't think it was opening night, because I, I, it was one of, the, one of the opening nights, all the photographers, maybe it was opening night, all the photographers were there. And it was a whole mess up. I remember at the last minute, they said, you guys have to go to the other side. I'm like, why? We're here. You have to go to the other side. And there were a few of us that stayed. I'm like, I'm not going to the other side. There's fans over there. This is press. And Bruce gets out of the car and he's wearing glasses. But the whole, and I remember all the photographers were like, well, I'm standing behind you. I'm shooting over your shoulder. You always get the picture. We're, we're grabbing the Rothenberg shot. So they were, they were, I think there's even a picture that I have where somebody's on, a photographer's got his camera on my head. And there's another one on my shoulder. And... Bruce, Bruce and Patty are standing right in front of me. They're looking right at me. There's another photographer who has the identical picture because literally his camera was on my shoulder. Uh, so it's the, almost the identical photo, just, you know, just a little, the, the height of it is a little different. Bruce walks to the door and I'm like, hey, Bruce, can you come back? And he turned around and he came back and stood right in front of me. And the, there was a couple other times that I was there and the same thing happened. It's like smack right in front of me. So I don't know. And then even actually there was one night, I don't know if it was closing night or closing week, I was across the street and he got on top of the car and the same thing, like right, right at me waving. Oh, it was closing night when he was walking across yeah. the street. Oh, that was yeah. a really good shot. Any other, any other more recent tales that you want to share? One day in 2004, little Steven was doing his underground. Oh yeah. The thing at Randall's Island. Yeah. And I, I had a photo pass for that, for the Daily News. Uh, I never thought Bruce was going to be there at all. It never, never crossed my mind. Oh, yeah. When, when you don't expect it and it happens, that's really the best. And we were allowed backstage. So I remember we, there was time, and it was pretty hot. So I was going backstage, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's Bruce. And he goes, hey, Deb, how are you? And I picked up the camera. I took a couple pictures. And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, all these photographers showed up and then security was pushing everybody away. I get back into the pit and I'm all smiles and everyone, the photographers look at me and they're like, what's going on? Aye. And I said, well, I miss Bruce on stage, another Mike, Mike to face picture, but look at what I got. And it was, yeah. it's in my book. It's a, it's a full page. It's, uh, yeah, that is, it, yeah, that, that's a gorgeous picture. And that was I have no idea how or where his mother saw that picture, but she called me up one day and said, and I still think this is like mind boggling. She said, this is the best picture I've ever seen of Bruce. I want to buy three copies from you, one for me and one for my two daughters. And nice. I, I would this love to know. Is this from Adele? 
Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I'm like, wow. And so I was talking to her for a little while, which was really, really exciting. And I just thought, oh, my mother would love her. This has been so great, Deb. Thanks so much for being with us. Just to wrap things up, out of all these amazing experiences you've had, does anyone stand out as just being something that I I don't want to phrase it like this, but in the last moments that that's going to be the thing that you remember. Well, I'm always going to remember that first night with Marshall because that was the first time seeing him at the stone pony. So that's always going to, I'm always going to remember that night. Um, Definitely February 15th, 1988, the cover of my book. Uh, There's, there's just, there's so many, there were so (laughs) many magical nights that, you know, looking back, did I ever think that was going to happen? No. And I remember it wouldn't have happened. Actually, this is why it all did happen. My second newspaper job, I hated. I was miserable. And I quit. And uh, I, moved, I moved home to my parents in North Jersey thinking, I'm never going to work again. And actually, when the day that I left, the other photographer yelled at me. I was 24. He said, you're never going to work again. And when I when I put the key down on the editor's desk, I looked him in the face and I said, it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. Oh, wow. And uh, well, two, that- weeks, two weeks later, I got a job down the shore. And really, that's when I think my life started to begin because that's really when, where I wanted to be. So did I ever think that I was going to have that opportunity to see him in, a, in such a small club? No. Oh, wow. That, that's such a great story. So that was really the stepping stone for a lot of great things that have, I think, that have happened with my career. I want to make sure that we properly promo the book, which is still available, right? It's out of print, but I know it's still available on Amazon, and I, I have a few copies left. So, and how can people contact you if they want the book or any of your shots? They could contact me through my website. It's DebraRothenberg.com. Well, th- thank you. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Well, and, thank you for having me. And telling me. some, I mean, these have been some wonderful stories. And, <laughs> yes. And I really, I really hope that, that people, uh, I'm sure that people are going to appreciate hearing them. Well, it was fun times with a lot of fun people. Thanks, Deb. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Thank you. All right. Take care, you guys. And that was Deb Rothenberg talking with us about some of her favorite memories of the Jersey Shore and and Bruce at their Jersey Shore in particular. And she's got some good stories, as, as, as did Stan. She really does. And so does he, of course. Everyone knows <laughs> that Stan is the man with the stories. Well, Stan's the man at the Jersey Shore. That is 100% for sure. Yes. So we thank them both for joining us. And as we said, we hope we get to see them out on the road sometime soon. Uh, hope so. Hope so. Before we wrap up tonight, do you want to uh, give your thoughts on anything that they said, your favorite moments down on the shore? Well, I'm just very thankful that we have uh, we have tapes and recordings of of a lot of those a lot of those shore appearances from the from the 80s. And no, you'll never uh, confuse them with a soundboard or or an official release. But sometimes the the bad sound quality kind of makes you feel like you're there. You can hear the 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 bottles banging up against each other, and you can hear the people yelling, and you can kind of get a feel of what of what was going on. Yeah, great times and. Certainly, we've had a few nights there ourselves and really amazing memories that we're going to have for the end of our days. So. Yeah, this, yeah the, I mean, we tried to, as, as you said, we tried to bring the experience to life as best we can of seeing Bruce in a, in, 
in a in a bar and in a club like that. But there's really no actually actually translating it into words. It's, it's people got to be there. It, it is true. You don't want to have to say you had to be there, but you know, sort of, you do. And uh, <laughs> for those of us who have been fortunate that we were there, uh, again, as I said, really memories of a lifetime and. Uh, I hope that Bruce continues to be able to do those things and, you know, we'll see how it all turns out. Obviously we're in difficult times. Yeah. Difficult times, but, uh, I don't know, got to keep going forward and, and, and hold the memories close. Yes. So, and with that, I think we're pretty much done with our discussion of the Jersey shore and the hot nights down there. <laughs> we should tell people our next episode is going to look at born to run, which of course celebrates its 45th anniversary in August. Oh, that's going to be fun. Uh, we have to come up with something new and interesting to say about an album that's been discussed a lot over the I, years. I think so. we can, because I know for me, and I'm sure I speak for you here, Born to Run is so damn important to me. Uh, I, I feel like we'll have something to say about it and hopefully something new. Yes. Well, it is part of our DNA at this point. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> So let's finish with our usual bit of business. None But the Brave is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment. Please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or any of the others. On the web, we can be found on Twitter at NBTB Podcast, and our website is nonebutthebravepodcast.com. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flo McLean saying thank you again to Stan Goldstein and Deborah Rothenberg for joining us, and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.